0: up close and virtual with me Katie Chu. In each episode I'll be joined by a guest where we'll be chatting about our experience of starting and running a business, the lessons that we've learned along the way, we'll be sharing our top tips and of course best practice. Expect to be entertained, enlightened and empowered. Happy listening! I am delighted to be welcoming my second guest of 2024 to the show today, the very lovely Robin Greaves. Robin is a full-time digital nomad and startup founder, and I have to tell you, dear listeners, when I say that actually Robin is currently in Vietnam. So when she says that she's a digital nomad, she absolutely is a digital nomad. Prior to launching her business, Start Sort Scale, Robin spent 15 years as an executive assistant working across many diverse industries, which include not-for-profit, media publishing and digital businesses. And in 2021, Robin won an Australian Admin Award for the excellence in a multifunctional admin role. Robin's passion for the pivotal role of assistants led her to create Mastering the Power of Chat, GPT, a guide to executive assistants and virtual assistants. And subsequently, the online course, Introduce AI, <coughs> the intro, sorry, to AI for executive assistance. She's emerged as a leading voice in this space empowering administrative professionals to leverage artificial intelligence and get their work done faster with less effort. Robin, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, and I can't wait to delve into your business journey today. Let's start with you telling the listeners a little bit about how you got to where you are now.
1: Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Casey. Wonderful uh, introduction. Um, and uh, thank you also, obviously, for inviting me to be here. Super happy to be here. Um, so, as you mentioned, I was an executive assistant for um, 15 years. And as I think often happens with administrative roles, I did kind of fall into that career. Yeah. Um, I, I studied English literature and drama at university just because those are my favourite subjects. Um and then I went to Hong Kong to teach English as a foreign language. And I did kind of think I would become a teacher for a long time. So it's kind of funny how things come around. And now I am teaching online. I think it's like, as I say, like 15 years later. Um, but yes, I started um, my sort of assistant journey in Bristol. And I supported the same woman for about five years, moving with her from Bristol up to London. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a really, really strong formative relationship with her in terms of um developing my skills as an assistant. She had very high standards. Um, and I think probably on reflection kind of trained me to be her perfect assistant because it was my sort of first assistant role. Yeah. Um, yeah. But once we moved up to London, we did lots of travel um in that role. So um, we went to uh, Monaco and Athens and San Diego and all these places. Um, me sort of supporting her in that in that travel um lifestyle and uh, we ended up in melbourne in australia and the idea there was that um the company we worked for were going to invest in um a business in melbourne and she was going to um once the investment was made she would run the business for a time um on behalf of the investors and i would you know be her assistant and so we got visas sorted and all that sort of thing And we thought we were going to be in australia for a few years but um, as often happens with kind of mergers and acquisitions, that it all kind of fell through in the in the due diligence phase. Oh. In, um, yeah, you can imagine. Like most of the time, it falls through, right? <laughs> so, um, oh. But we were there. We were in Australia, and um, I had this visa. So it was a, a four-year visa. So they're quite hard to get. They were hard yeah. at the time. And yeah, they're yeah. harder now, as you can imagine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so I decided to stay in Australia so she went home so I stopped I stopped working for her I told her you know it was all very amicable I told her like I want to stay in Australia I have this visa Um, and I knew that you know I didn't know much but I did know that this visa was valuable that I had something But most of the people I was meeting in Australia they didn't have this this four-year visa and so um, I moved up to Sydney um, and I got a job at a university in Sydney um which was um, amazing for me because they do a lot of um they have a lot of people on visas in universities as you can imagine they have very sort of diverse workforce and so they were able to support me to get my permanent residency and eventually get my citizenship in Australia so I could stay in Australia and so that was um there was certainly more luck than judgment in terms of choosing a university because I was just sort of looking for a role, an assistant role. But actually, a university is a is a perfect place if you want to sort of establish yourself in a, in a different country. Um From there, I moved to then to a tech startup and then eventually to a to a not profit non profit okay. not for profit in uh, in Sydney, and that's where I was when you know, the pandemic hit and (laughs) closed us all down um (laughs) and um I got stuck in not stuck but I I was in Australia for three years kind of unable to visit my family in the UK um really didn't leave Australia for for those three years barely left the state um to be honest um and so when everything opened up again my partner Jeremy is Australian and so I said you know I, I think we need to move back to the UK for a bit because I feel like a holiday at this point is, is not enough, you know, two weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. It's like I've missed huge, a huge part of something here. Um, And so our initial idea was to um, move to London and basically kind of replicate our Sydney lives. So Mm -hmm. um, Jeremy is working for a bank and I was obviously being an executive assistant. Um, But when we kind of packed up and, did all the the hard stuff in sydney (laughs) that you know selling our stuff renting our house or saying goodbye to people once we'd done all that we found that we weren't um we weren't ready to pick it all up again in london and just recreate the exact same lifestyle as we had had um and so we we traveled in italy for a couple of months and we just sort of thought how can we how can we make this keep going? <laughs> you know, how can we how can we keep making this lifestyle possible for us? Um, how can we keep this flexibility, this agency, this um, yeah, this this ability to travel wherever we want? Um, and so that led us to set up our own business, start to scale. Yeah. yeah. Um, and yeah, and so originally that was that was a a process optimization business. So that was Jeremy's background, but GPT yeah. and AI have completely taken over my life (laughs) and um so now i can i 100 of my time my working time is spent doing these courses training people um i've trained teams in the us new zealand australia the uk um and that part of the business that was once a kind of side part of the business i guess yeah Yeah, well it
0: was so new that the adoption rates would have been very low yeah mm.
1: And um, and it's been a you know as you can imagine the complete learning curve for me as well and like I've grown so much in this space um, so yeah so now that for me that business and the business that I do as I travel around everywhere is this uh, training for not just executive assistants but admin professionals um, and also I've been doing it for university professional staff because that's also you know part of my background yeah. um, working at a university so I'm doing more of that as well this
0: year so. yeah. So just for clarity, in terms of your kind of inspiration that sort of took you on that leap of faith from an executive career into that world of being an entrepreneur, so that was really circumstantial. That was really that sort of shift from being in Oz and moving back to the UK, Yeah. What what challenges did you kind of have to overcome from the sort of business setup point of view? Because you're moving countries, what's is there much that's kind of transferable? Mm. What what were the challenges?
1: So the main challenges were um that the most important thing is marketing. Uh and neither of us had a clue about marketing. <laughs> um and um the second most challenging thing was that downstream of marketing is your network or networking um and because we had moved from australia where we did have you know deep networks in australia uh we moved to the uk or to kind of europe we were in first of all and we didn't have really any networks no either so those were two huge challenges and we didn't even realize we had those challenges until we got started because when we were still thinking in our sort of employee headspace, you know, you don't have to worry about those things. Um, you don't worry about where the work comes from. The work just, it just keeps coming. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have yeah, to the worry.
0: Doesn't, yeah, the intro doesn't disperse on its own. Yes, exactly. <laughs>
1: um, so, yeah, so those were the two, as I say, are um, our, our real challenges and the biggest the biggest learning curve by a mile those two things for
0: sure what what were the sort of key things that you did to address those challenges what what were the sort of um plans that you kind of rolled out to kind of overcome those
1: Mm. so the first thing and the thing that sort of started us on the right path of making the business a success was to and it sounds simple but it's actually it's hard when you get started is to go and talk to people (laughs) about what you're doing yeah. Um and that well, that was something because we were new to business that was something that we we put off because we weren't we weren't confident in the beginning. Yeah, we didn't really feel like business owners. Um you know, we had some business cards printed and we didn't give them to anyone. <laughs> you know? Um and to get over that I guess you know we call like you know that imposter syndrome or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. It, the key the key for that was to go and talk to people and tell them what we were doing and especially talking to other business owners so we joined um a networking group at the time even though we were traveling around we were based kind of around london because we thought that was important to our business at the time um and we joined a london business network which is a a network for small business owners Mm -hmm. um and that made a huge difference because we were suddenly in in a room with people who were on the same journey as us but further ahead and so they had so much advice and support um but also just understood like they, they made us see that what we were going through wasn't unusual or it wasn't you know down to us not being good enough to do this it was just we were right at the very start of the journey um and that is definitely something that we we've kept on fostering because that like Small business owners are honestly the most supportive group of people on the planet,
0: I think. Yeah, I think that's so true. Um,
1: And then the other thing was to really practice putting ourselves out there online as well. And so that was something that just took a lot of practice. So um, especially LinkedIn has been, like, really pivotal pivotal for me in the AI training space. Um, So just getting comfortable with putting out content on LinkedIn having opinions about things, um, sharing information and sharing it in that way that it is different from when you th- when I was employed by a company, when I, you know, every now and then I would share that I've got a new job or that maybe we're doing like a fundraiser or something, and kind of very kind of um, professional, kind of stilted kind of update posts. And to move from that to sort of creating original content and, and having an opinion about things and sharing things that I was learning. Um, that was a that was a huge learning curve and it took time to get comfortable with that. But it's something that I wish I'd done. I wish I'd always done. I wish I'd done that when I was employed all the way through my assistant career because I think it's been a, gonna become a more and more valuable skill. And I think it's gonna become more and more important in terms of um, job seeking or looking for new roles um what do you how do you show up online what opinions do you have what content can you can create so if anyone is thinking about setting up their own business in the future I would say start posting start creating content now um and get comfortable with with putting yourself out there because it's it can be daunting
0: I think it's that authenticity piece isn't it as well I think it's that you know confidence to be who you really are you know yeah. don't show up and try and be somebody that you're not yeah. and be comfortable with sort of slightly laying yourself bare you know be be brave about it because people really do engage with it they really respect it too um yeah. you know I think it, it's quite it's it is hugely powerful and social media is very noisy you've got yeah make some fairly significant noises to be able to stand above the crowd and be heard just going a, a little bit back to 2021 yes. where you won your award were you still employed in a full-time role when you got your executive assistant award
1: yes yes so i was uh working at canteen which is um a not-for-profit that supports young people with cancer in australia yeah um and so it was a award for a multifunction role because i was EA to the CEO and also the office manager at that time. So, and and the office manager was actually a huge. It wasn't sort of a a small add on. It was it was at least fifty percent, if not more, of my role at Canteen because we had a you know big office where we offered services to young people um, and a lot of stuff going on. And particularly during the pandemic, um, there was a huge amount of leadership required um, to manage that office, Um, and so. Yeah, for me, like with the award, I actually nominated myself for wow. the award. <laughs> wow. So this, is, this is something that I I think is actually quite unusual. I know other people do do it, but I think percentages wise, it, it's quite an unusual thing to do. Very low percentage, um,
0: yeah.
1: But I highly, 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 highly uh, <laughs> encourage other admin professionals to do so. Um, I had like the support of my executive. So, I, you know, I told him that I was going to do this. But for me, it it was all part of my journey. And like, this was a huge learning curve for me uh, at Canteen in this role, was that I I had spent a lot of my career waiting to be noticed. So I sort of, I knew I had lots of skills and I knew that I had a lot of, you know, enthusiasm and I wanted to do things and get involved. But as an assistant, because I was always doing one-on-one support, so I was always kind of in the background making this other person look good. And that's the role. Um... I just I felt that like at some point someone would see like how good I was and then they would give me more opportunities or then they would give me more responsibility or more leadership whatever Um, and so while I was at canteen kind of went on this journey and and the award was part of this to be that to to understand that that wasn't going to work and that I had to put myself out there I had to I had to tell people what I wanted to do what I wanted to be involved in and. I was lucky that the CEO of Canteen is incredibly supportive of me. So his attitude is really kind of you can do whatever you want, but you it's like kind of choose your own adventure sort of style, like those books. But you have to be in control. Of your, <laughs> yeah, because um, you know from his perspective, and I think this happens a lot with assistants. From his perspective, I was doing a great job in in my you know the job I had on paper. So that managing the calendars the the email management the event organizing all that was going well so he's like he's kind of like great done like but but I wanted more and he his attitude was like you can have more but but you have to tell me what that is or you have to you know and so um yeah so the the award was kind of a a part of that journey where I realized that I couldn't wait for someone to nominate me, me for an award um and so yeah I would highly recommend other people do that because even if you don't win it doesn't it doesn't matter it's
0: no it's and part of the there's a lot of uh, first and foremost I think a lot of EAs do feel like that you know we we do a job on a day-to-day basis and you know everything sort of ticks along and and but people that we work with genuinely and and it's not a criticism at all because it's just a nature of the situation but they think that just because we're doing a great job and everything's ticking along and there's that lovely sort of even flat calm water Mm. you sort of do get overlooked from that point of view and I I hear it a lot when I interview people who are starting out they're literally starting their business the motivation is I wanted something for me you know Mm. I, I wanted to Um, kind of step out of just being the EA or the PA or whatever you know and it's 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 sort of that elevation thing and but you're right submitting yourself as an up for an award is a daunting task but the what you get from it is even if as you say you don't win or you don't get on that kind of short list or whatever is is you learn an awful lot about how much you've done and how good mm. you are so there's a kind of real pat on the back self-confidence boost that comes from doing it um, yeah and,
1: and, and it's helpful for you know this is kind of even for job applications and things like that right because when you're when you're applying for jobs you want to be quantifying your impact you want to be saying not just what you do but like how you do it how you create a difference and so it forces you to reflect in that way um and then you know if you do get shortlisted I can tell you from experience uh it thrusts you into the spotlight <laughs> in a very cringeworthy way <laughs> but it's very healthy <laughs> so I remember like when when I was shortlisted like like even when I won I just I went into work one day and the um, the admin awards had posted on LinkedIn that I was a short in on the short list and they tagged me but they'd also tagged like the whole senior leadership team at canteen and I hadn't told all of them I just told my CEO he didn't know I was shortlisted and I honestly like I wa- I, I wanted to crawl under my desk and hide like it was I can still feel it now I can still feel how embarrassing oh, no. I found it yeah it was And obviously everyone's coming because it's a super supportive workplace so everyone's coming over everyone's like asking oh, and it's like it was um it felt terrible at the time but all, the overall yeah you know, it's healthy and that's the that's the growth that uncomfortable feeling is the growth um and so it's you know it's worth pursuing.
0: I want to draw you back now to much more along sort of today and what you're doing now, and particularly this sort of AI stuff and ChatGPT. When did you first kind of come across AI in the workplace? When 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 was that? When did that happen?
1: So for me, really, um, ChatGPT was that that sort of gateway into the world of AI. Yeah. Um, so even though we've all been using, you know, AI technology for years and things like Amazon and, and Netflix and stuff, it wasn't something that I um, had had, you know, much involvement with beyond your normal kind of computer products, and apps and things. But um, Jeremy, my business partner, showed me ChatGPT back in, so it would be January, January last year, yeah, January 2023. Mm-hmm. So It's been out a couple of months, but it wasn't it wasn't front page news yet. It was, no, it, I think no. it was released in November before. So, um, so he showed me this um, and it was actually just as we sort of got settled in the UK and London where we were starting to think about our business. And as soon as I saw it, it's like the first thing I said was just like, every executive assistant needs to know about this. Like this, it just blew my mind, the number of use cases and the ways that this could help. I could just see, you know, so I was still very connected to my my previous role i had only been gone from that role like three months. So I was still very, very connected to that uh, executive assistant kind of way of thinking. And I was like, yeah, I don't know, it kind of hit me like a lightning bolt. Like I was like, how can I? <laughs> People need to know about this. Um, and so, yeah, that led me to creating that the guide that yeah. you mentioned. And so, um, again, at the time, um, it was really a side project within the business we were, we were creating so yes you know,
0: at stage, it was very much more about the process driven stuff wasn't it rather than yes. specifically the AI d- delivering yeah no, I think that's yeah right.
1: exactly um <laughs> but, it, but anyway, one of the joys of running your own business is you can do whatever you want and so if you want to do a side project about chat GPT for executive assistance you can do that um and so I created this um are this, templates basically so you know the key for getting the best out of ChatGPT is the quality of your prompt. So the the question or the instructions that you want ChatGPT to respond to, uh, everything comes downstream of a good prompt. Mm. And so the guide, the idea behind the guide is to create prompt templates so that people can, say all sorts of different tasks. I I knew executive assistants do, so onboarding forms, presentation outlines, formal correspondence. I thought of as many use cases as I could and then create templates that could be filled in, like fill in the blanks with your own your situation, copy and paste into ChatGPT. And this will be giving ChatGPT the information it needs to actually give you relevant and useful responses because just asking ChatGPT to write a letter or draft a presentation yes. is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that, and so that was just, just like, that, that was, was a standalone so project.
0: It. Yeah. Um, and did you publish it? Have you just published that as a downloadable um, set of guides or have you done it as yeah. a
1: book? Yeah, yeah. So it's just linked on our website. And so yeah. um, we have it for sale and then you get a Word document. So it's like a, a, the Word document you can download. So it's your own resource. Yeah. Um, so you can yeah. edit it, you can do whatever you want with it. And then I also made it a, a YouTube uh, video just to go through the basics of, yeah. of how, and it yeah. includes like frequently asked questions and, and all that sort of stuff. So for anyone who is still completely new or terrified.
0: <laughs> it's a great it. place to start. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it really is a great start And then the course has sort of been developed I guess subsequently to the guide and it does sound absolutely brilliant. I mean it really does sound fantastic. I mean I, I would highly recommend any EA and all virtual assistant out there who really wants to sort of master this to get in touch with Robin but what what are some of the fundamental concepts that you feel that the administration professionals can expect from from the course? What what what's it aimed at? What are you going to get from it? Yeah,
1: so I created it as a as an introduction to AI for executive assistants. But as you say, I have for different audiences, I modify that content. So sometimes I do it for admin professionals. Sometimes I do it for Uh, university staff so it can I I tailor it to the audience so that it's very specifically relevant um but kind of yeah my flagship one is for executive assistants because that's the you know the job I know and love the most and so I like uh, I, I care about assistants a lot um and so the course basically follows um I start with ChatGPT because I think ChatGPT is a great intro to all things AI Um, and we go into real detail about how to write good prompts, what they need, what chatbots need to give you the best response. And I also showcase some other AI chatbots and the paid version of ChatGPT so people can start to see really like what's possible um, with these tools um, because they are developing at such a rapid rate and the things they can actually do now is incredible, it's changed so much even since I um, started on this journey. And um, so then I'll move, once we've done kind of the AI chatbot space, I'll move to other AI tools um, for common tasks. So things like minute taking, scheduling meetings, um, creating presentations, um, documenting processes. Um, and I'll demo, take people through kind of step by step, these, my sort of products that I recommend or things that I think will be useful for assistance. Um, and then we go into sort of no code automation. So Technically, automation is different from AI, but I see them together and I see them holding hands to make our work lives easier. Yeah,
0: definitely. I mean, I think that whole automation environment is fascinating. Um, we're actually, I'm, I'm working with a client at the moment who we're doing a sort of power BI Automate for some sales and marketing dashboard in and we're kind of integrating across all the different sales and marketing platforms that we're using Mm. um and i've i'm really enjoying getting to grips with all of that it's just brilliant and the power that you can kind of derive from it in terms Mm. of that sort of data driven decision making is Mm -hmm. just immense absolutely fabulous i'm loving it (laughs)
1: yeah absolutely and i think you know in terms of the automation you often people on the course are microsoft users and so they usually have access already just to microsoft power automate but i find that a lot of people have never heard of it um and have never used it and actually there's so many simple automations you can do things like um every time someone emails you with an invoice that invoice gets automatically saved to your OneDrive in a folder called invoices to pay or whatever you need. Um, And that's literally a few clicks to set something like that up. Um, And so um, the automation is a big part of the course. And then the last thing, which I think is a really important piece and something that I've developed more in the last few iterations is actually how to actually implement these tools in the workplace. Um, And so I was getting a lot of questions about, you know, these tools are really cool, I really like this, I can see the potential, but, like, how do I actually use these or how do I get access to them? And so I've added content into the course about um, how to ask things as an EA, how to craft a business case, um, the change management that might be required, so things like you have to think about data privacy and stuff like that. And then you, I use one of the projects that I actually Completed in my old role at Canteen, I revisit that project and I demonstrate how I would now use AI if I did that project again.
0: Um, that's and so that, a great way of demonstrating it. That's brilliant. That makes it, gives it a real, real-time sort of situation. I love that. Yeah,
1: that's it. And that's that authenticity because I, I, you know, I just literally, it's nothing more than exactly what I would do. And I wish I did have the, these tools, to be honest.
0: When, when it comes to AI, what are the sort of things that you consistently see that people are doing that not isn't, isn't wrong, but you kind of consistently see and think, oh, no, don't do that. You know, what are those sort of things that need correcting, do you think?
1: I think that, like, what the kind of mindset shift that I think is most important is I see a lot of people asking, like, how can AI help me? Like, how can AI help me in my job, in my role as an assistant? Um, And my advice for that is to like flip that round and say, what problem are you trying to solve? So there's a lot of um, anxiety or guilt. Maybe people feel like they should be using AI and they're not. And like, then they feel bad about that. um, Or they feel like they're, you know, they're behind or something. Um, But actually saying, how can AI help me is, is the wrong question. And the right question is, you know, where am I spending too much time and too much effort? Uh, what problem am I trying to solve? And I would start super small with something like that. So I would start really, really simple. Um, get comfortable with one tool that solves you know one problem and then build from there. Don't try and you know bring AI in across your entire workflow all in one go. Um, because it will be super overwhelming, and you won't get—you won't actually end up saving time. You end up getting very frustrated and you know, crying under your desk, probably. <laughs> oh,
0: yeah, I think it is. It's that you know, just just know how you learn, and most of us mm. actually just learn in small increments. So mm. if you start small with you know the the sort of drudgy tasks that you know actually just are really boring. Mm. Start using those. To kind of build your knowledge, your expertise, and your skills, mm. then move to the next stage. But don't overwhelm yourself. Don't don't go in with the sort of you know how do I automate X, Y, and Z. You know, mm. take it step by step. And I think that that makes you know just just makes the learning curve much easier to kind of grasp. I think you because know, there is so much to learn. There oh is- yeah, so, I mean,
1: I find it overwhelming. You know, I'm I'm reading and learning about AI every day, and I'm sometimes like, wow, this is super overwhelming. So you know, don't feel like you have to kind of learn AI or or solve AI. It, it's just about what's, making your work easier.
0: What's, what's the sort of, from your personal point of view, what, um, outside of kind of developing a business on AI, but what's the one thing it's done for you that you will always be grateful to for it?
1: Um, for me, like the two things that I use it for the most are, the um, like meeting transcriptions. So anytime I have a meeting with a client or a catch up meeting or anything, I personally use a tool called Fireflies, Mm -hmm. um, which is my preferred uh, AI note taker. But um, for me, the the efficiencies of having uh, a meeting recorded and transcribed and the action items just all created automatically is amazing. But also I think it just allows me to be present in the meeting as well. And so, because I'm not feverishly writing down, you know, oh, what did they say again? Or like, I'm you know, trying to carry on a conversation and think and make notes and think about something I need to follow up later. And so that kind of freedom to use a tool in that way. And I think for assistants, it's also such a good opportunity if you can use those sort of note-taking software because, you know, oftentimes assistants say that we want to sit at the table, we want to be able to speak up in meetings or we want to have like a voice heard. And like it's hard to do that if you're taking minutes, especially yeah. if you're taking, you know, official kind of Yeah, but mm. well.
0: yeah, no, that's right. Um
1: and so yeah, I, I love honestly Fireflies should actually pay me money because the number of people <laughs> I turned on to Fireflies. I wish I got commission for that one. Um but yeah, really a really useful tool. And if, if people haven't tried an AI an AI note taker, I would highly recommend checking it out. There's lots of different ones on the market, but I really like Fireflies for the accuracy of the the action items that it captures.
0: When we started chatting and I did your intro, I let everybody know that you're currently in Vietnam. Um, Being a full-time digital nomad adds another layer um, to your career. How has the lifestyle influenced your work? Um, and what advice have you got for others who are thinking about taking a similar path? I mean, that, the, the sort of nomadic lifestyle I think is really appealing to a lot of people.
1: Mm. Mm. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, like, the, the, the biggest effect it's had on our business would be the need to be completely digital, completely agile, flexible, online. Um, I love that we can work not only work from anywhere, but work with anyone anywhere. And so because I'm able to be flexible with time zones, um, yeah, the reason I'm in Vietnam now is because I'm going to run training for an audience in Australia. And so I can match up those time zones that wouldn't be, um, it wouldn't be so so nice for me if I was in the UK. Um, but I'm able to do training for different administrative professionals around the world because I have this flexibility with location. And I feel like that global mindset where we really can work with anyone. Um, for me, that that is such a, a great benefit when you're trying to grow a business because there are no, there are any barriers are the barriers that we
0: decide. That we can oh, totally. Place. Yeah, we, we um, have our own blocks in place. Nobody else does. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's right. Exactly. And so, you know, if I wanted to work with people in the US, I can go to the US or I can move somewhere where the you know, times are in the right so I don't have to do anything in the middle of the night or you know, <laughs> 2 a.m. in the morning. Oh. Um and then for, for other people kind of considering that lifestyle, like I would say, I mean, check that that appeals to you, what I've just said. So constantly changing, constantly. Um, so working from a different place, like there are lots of kind of micro decisions that we have to make all the time. So things like, where do we get our shopping from? Where are we going to stay? When when, when we're going to, when we fly in, are we going to stay here? Or are we going to move to this? Should we go to this? Suburbs? There's lots of, Decision fatigue can be a real thing if a digital name app because your kind of lifestyle and routine is ch- constantly changing all the time. And so when you're also making a lot of decisions for your business, you have to give yourself space and kind of grace to be able to um, to deal with those. Yeah. Uh, and I would also say that importantly, it's not all glamorous. <laughs> and, oh, exactly. and it's, not, <laughs> it's not It's not all, you know, uh, using your laptop on the beach with a cocktail um, I am currently in Vietnam but I honestly have barely left our Airbnb so far because I'm delivering this training tomorrow and so it isn't like being on holiday all the time mm-hmm. um, but if, if if it sounds appealing like please like I would absolutely love to talk to anyone who's thinking about doing this lifestyle because I feel like we totally learn on the go we sort of just made it work for us but it, we learned a lot of mistakes and a lot a lot of things the hard way so If anyone who's listening wants to talk about it and wants my advice, I would absolutely 100% be be happy to talk to anyone.
0: Oh, bless. Well, I wait for it. You'll get loads of (laughs) conversations about it. Um, It really is very appealing. But you're quite right to highlight, you know, there are some massive upsides to it. You know, the experience that, you know, just general world knowledge, cultural development, all those sort of things are incredible. Um, But, you know, there is a big difference to going on your annual summer holidays in glorious wall to wall sunshine with a swimming pool and a cocktail and all your meals being cooked for you through the hotel to actually working in, you know, very hot temperatures. Um, Mm. We lived in Portugal for two years. And I worked while we were out there and loved I mean, I don't get me wrong. I loved it, but it was very different. And Everybody wanted to come and visit, which was great. But of course, I was still working. I've got a daughter who is at school. You know, it is it is a very different thing. So do weigh up your options and be really honest with yourself about what you can cope with. Looking ahead, I mean, the the future is very bright for you guys. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind that you really have got a huge, just fabulously successful future kind of ahead of you. What's the plan for the next few years? And are there any specific goals or milestones that you're particularly aiming to achieve for?
1: Um, yeah, so I'm going to, so I'm keeping training for the first part of this year. So between now and April, I've got training booked across Australia, New Zealand, UK, US. I'm actually going over to the US um, and speaking at conference for the first time over there as well. Oh, April, really, is...
0: God, how exciting.
1: Yeah, so that's really exciting. So my first kind of big audience for that. So I'm really, really looking forward to that. Um, and then sort of beyond that, thinking about a, a sort of business all right, so this is very much in the idea stage, but basically what we want to do is develop an AI product that helps people. So I'm really keen for this AI for good kind of concept. Mm-hmm. And so one of my biggest sort of concerns about AI adoption is that the the gap widening between those rich like corporates who can afford the products, the training, the experts, the staff, um, and then the gap widening between them and smaller organizations or small businesses um, who can't keep up Mm -hmm. and so we've got this idea to develop a that will help charities find and connect with new donors Um, and so that's something we we're going to (laughs) pursue.
0: Honestly
1: it's a lot of work trust me Um, but yeah so but what we see, what I see, the problem I see is that the demand for charities is increasing and the number of people giving is dropping. And so looking at like how can AI solve that problem? Um, and so that's what we want to do in the future. That's where. That's
0: what we're thinking about. Roman, that's just, that sounds really exciting. That sounds <laughs> really, really exciting. And 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 actually not only exciting, it sounds very, very, very desperately in need too, because you're quite right. There will be an awful lot of people who are going to be horribly left behind. <clears throat> um, you know, where the money is available for the investment, you huh. know, people are going to spend a lot of money on AI and it's going to make a massive difference. And then, you know, for those poor businesses uh, and or non-for-profits who are kind of left behind will really struggle. So I think you've identified a very, very deserving and demand, well, will need a lot of demand market. Robin, you've been an absolute star. I knew you would be. I mean, you just are such an inspiration and, um, I've been very lucky to talk to Robin in uh, on another matter in a professional environment, and she is hugely impressive and knows her stuff better than most people that I've come across in this area. So I would highly recommend anybody reaching out to Robin if they're particularly looking to upskill on their AI and, and skills because it is a hot topic and it is something that uh, a executive assistants, virtual assistants, we really need to kind of master and grasp um AI is only ever going to be good as good as the person who's using it so you know at the end of the day if you upskill the world the yeah the doors will open um Robin thank you good luck with the course to the Australians I know it'll be a huge success I hope you continue to enjoy the time that you've got in Vietnam and the various other locations that you'll be in across the southern <laughs> hemisphere over the next few months. Um, we'll miss you in the UK, but um, we'll look forward to catching up again soon. Thank you. Thank you
1: so. Thank you so much, Katie. This was so fun. It was lovely to talk to you.
0: Thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to follow me and my guests on our social channels. All the details will be in the show notes and please get in touch if you have any questions or topics that you might like to have covered in the next episodes or even if you would like to be a guest yourself.